0: It's December 13th, 2021. And this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, is Amazon fooling the market about its profitability? Kohl's is next up in a long line of retailers targeted by activist investors. Allbirds Q3 losses prompt debate over its future. Supply chain issues will take longer to sort out than many expect. And finally, the Investor Minute, which contains five items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news, is Amazon fooling the market about its profitability? A recent report from Stacey Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self Reliance and brought to light by TechCrunch shines a light on the fact that even in 2021, Many people simply do not realize how profitable the Amazon third-party business is and how critical it is to Amazon's retail business. Now, what's juicy here is that Amazon disputes this report. Well, of course they do because it would ruin the company narrative that they're a friend of small businesses. Here are a few major points from the report. First, seller fees, not AWS, are the major profitability source. Second, you would know that if Amazon hadn't been hiding it from you all this time. Third, it's been hidden to obscure the monopoly forces that are actually at work. And fourth, so Amazon needs to be split into smaller companies, like right now. Now, in my opinion, Amazon really has two businesses. One dependent on Prime. This includes first party, third party, advertising, video, devices, and logistics. Prime stirs the drink here. And yes, it's a flywheel with a phenomenal moat. The other business is AWS. It's not really prime dependent, which is why it's more vulnerable to Microsoft and Google. And actually Microsoft has the long-term advantage here as Microsoft Office is essentially that company's prime. My take, one, Amazon doesn't really hide its fees. The company is well known to all its sellers. And yes, it has been steadily increasing its fees over the past 15 years. Amazon doesn't really hide its seller business either. When the CEO writes in financial reports that third parties are kicking our first party butt and units are greater than first party, how is that hidden? Three, Amazon does obscure its third party GMV and many analysts confuse third party revenue, which Amazon books with third party GMV, which it does not really disclose. I feel like folks like Scott Wingo has been talking about this for like over 12 years. Four, The government is not going to be attempting any kind of breakup. It takes months of negotiations to simply fund commitments for the government that everyone agreed on 10 years ago and prevent the entire government from shutting down. This same body is going to pull off something like this? Ah, no. Five, the Amazon PR team is very well-tuned. Years ago, Amazon selected a Virginia headquarters site for really two reasons. One, it's where AWS is heaviest. And two lobbying. The 2 million SMB narrative continues to be driven into the ground by the company. Ultimately, you can quibble at the edges of the report. Every seller's fees are a little different. It is true that Amazon's costs have been rising for a long time. Is Lena Khan, the chair of the FTC, funding this research? Because reading this report right now, it sure seems that way. I have no doubt that Andy Jassy, the new CEO of Amazon, and his failed S team are discussing the response to this report right now. Our second story. Kohl's is next up at a long line of retailers targeted by activist investors. Engine Capital, which holds approximately 1% of the firm's share, recently sent a note to the Kohl's board of directors highlighting opportunities for value creation. The money quote from the release is here quote, Assuming online revenue of around $6.2 billion and a valuation of two times sales, Kohl's digital business alone would be worth $12.4 billion around 40% higher than the current enterprise value of the entire business today. This multiple is conservative in light of the rumored four times sales multiple expectations for the Saks.com initial public offering. We would also note that since the market started to believe Macy's may consider it a separation, its stock is up 23.3% versus 10.4% for Kohl's, highlighting investor interest in such a separation as well as its potential value creation." End quote. <laughs> wow. So we're developing something of a baseball lineup here. Sachs is advancing with an e-commerce IPO next year, but that hasn't even reached first base yet. That's the starting point for the consumer, but for many of these investors, it's the finish line. Macy's is now in the batter's box, and now Kohl's is in the on-deck circle warming up. What is no one talking about here? What happens next after the e-commerce IPOs, in particular, after these new entities start losing real share to Walmart, Target, and Amazon. No one is solving the root issue here, which is the lack of a defensible consumer value proposition. Who is being brought in to solve this problem? You almost have to imagine that there is a wink-wink relationship here between the investors and the retail store entities that are being left behind. Imagine if you had two kids on a sinking ship, and to the e-commerce kid you give a life raft. And for the brick and mortar kid, you wrap a rock inside of a raincoat and yell, catch! There's another elephant in the room here. We used to say it was impossible to deliver an omni-channel experience within a siloed organization where the retail department worked just a few feet or a few floors from the digital team. Now we can separate into different entire companies that treat each other as vendors as suddenly we figured it all out? So unlikely. What changed their minds? Well, now these same CEOs are practicing their best screwed McDuck with their new investor money, which of course has eased some of their operational worries in the short term. Our third story. Allbirds Q3 losses prompt debate over its future. The latest Allbirds earnings kicked up a huge firestorm of debate in the e-commerce community about what it means for the company's future. Let's start with the reports. The company's revenue grew 33% a year, big investments in physical retail, and it reported a strong response to its performance apparel line. At the same time, losses doubled. The long-term debate is over how successful its retail efforts will be. Albert's built a growing but not profitable digital business as a native brand. And now it's asking investors to fund the next phase in its evolution. Is this the definition of a Ponzi scheme or are they the next Lululemon? That's really the question. What's needed for success in retail? There are a few things to look at regarding this topic. One, retail is more profitable than e-commerce as anyone can see from looking at Walmart or Target versus Amazon's e-commerce bottom line. Wholesale is a siren song, but Allbirds is wise to slow play this as its brand presentation is all it has. Two, most direct-to-consumer brands evaluating retail need to determine if they have enough SKUs to support an entire store. An athletic lifestyle brand can better support a nationwide store footprint than a sustainable shoe brand. Three, certain categories simply do not have huge e-commerce penetration still. Eyewear and beauty are great examples. Warby Parker would barely be a business at all without physical retail. And Glossier, the blog-turned-beauty brand, is now looking to reopen experiential retail stores. Both categories are hard to grow beyond a certain point in e-commerce. Fourth, the one variable here is price pressure due to competition as a company expands. If expansion means Allbirds isn't able to keep its premium pricing, the entire venture could collapse on itself. Allbirds is not a well-known brand. If it stays upmarket, it will struggle against huge players like Lululemon. If it tries the mid-market, it will run into mainstream America just buying workout gear from Target and Walmart, all with less consumer trust than those brands. Ultimately, I think Allbirds will choose the upmarket path, which is slightly less crowded, but they still need distribution. What's being left unsaid here is whether Allbirds should at the same time partner with traditional retailers like Target and give up some control or continue to go it alone. This key question will likely center around how much funding the company can get for its store expansion and how quickly it can show that it's profitable. My biggest prediction? Don't be surprised if while trying to make its branded physical stores profitable, Alberts also starts a number of Target Shop Shops next year to expand brand awareness, which is still lacking. In fact, it may be an urgent priority for the firm. And our last story. Supply chain issues will take longer to sort out than many expect. A new report from the Wall Street Journal has an interesting statement from the CEO of Intel that I think many would be wise to pay attention to. When people talk about global supply chain crisis, there are really two things going on in parallel. The first is directly COVID-related, in particular country-specific manufacturing shutdowns and delays. The Intel CEO said that the company had allowed its supply chains to consolidate in Asia, leaving the company without the geographic balance to cope with disruptions. I thought this was an interesting statement on one side. On the other side, you have the labor market. Even before the pandemic, it was difficult to find digital talent. Now, retail and supply chain are having difficulty with talent as well, as COVID has given the entire industry a breather to reevaluate their lives. Despite the cry about benefits, gig economy, et cetera, really, this is all about pay. And many companies still haven't realized this. I'm reminded of a quote long ago from Winston Churchill, who famously said, you can always count on the Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. I feel like many companies around the world are acting the same way, namely trying everything else and not fixing the core issue, that core issue being pay. There's been a lot of focus on increasing work from home flexibility and adding additional benefits like time off. That's all well and good, but many are only incrementally increasing their worker pay. Sorry, but that's not going to cut it anymore. The companies that will succeed are those that pay their workers more, attracting better talent and getting better service as a result for their customers. The COVID-induced supply chain bottlenecks in Asia will subside, but what will remain is a shortage of talented workers. If you aren't solving this problem, then your own personal supply chain crisis will not subside. Business leaders need to take note and start asking these questions of their suppliers. Stop asking for the best deal. Start asking your suppliers how they treat their workers instead. The sooner you admit that your fortunes are linked to the fortunes of your suppliers, the faster you will get back to normal. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have five items on the menu today. First, platform provider Marketplacer raised $38 million in order to fund further expansion in the U.S. market. This continues the well-worn path of successful Australian software companies moving into the US market. Sounds like more marketplace businesses coming your way. Second, Chinese marketplace seller aggregator Nebula Brands raised $50 million in a Series B investment funded by L. Catterton. Like a truffle hog, private equity will find the money. The key question here is, if third-party Chinese marketplace sellers are the fastest growing segment on Amazon, why not just fund those? I'm surprised it took so long for us to get here. Third, in ultra-fast grocery news, New York-based 15-20 minutes shut down in what I'm sure is the first of many dominoes to fall in the quick commerce space. Most providers, GoPuff being the exception, have not been profitable in the U.S. market and it's only a matter of time before many of them consolidate, go out of business, as is the case here, or leave the market entirely, as in the case of Joker. Fourth, European service provider Intercultural Elements was recently acquired by Amazon agency BuyBoss Experts. Intercultural Elements fills a key niche, localization across multiple marketplaces. Congrats to my friend Scott Galveo on his long journey toward this exit. And finally, Trading Card Collectibles Marketplace Dibs secured an investment from Amazon and launched a Sell with Dibs program that allows users to fractionalize ownership of their collectible trading cards. Once someone owns 100% of the share, they can have it shipped to them. This is a smart investment for Amazon to get exposure to this market. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our show is produced by Citizen Racecar. Alex Brower is the producer and also wrote our theme music. The executive producer is David Hoffman. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.